Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you're here with us today. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Jacob LeBlanc. You just met my wife, Grace, and we are the lead pastors of the New Iberia campus. And uh, we are so, so glad that you're here with us today. Um, hey, I just want to let you know before we jump into the message, um, I love to greet every single, every single Sunday morning the same way. And uh, I just want to tell you, if this is your first time, we're glad that you're here regardless of your race regardless of your political affiliations, and regardless of your denominational background, we want to say welcome home. We're glad you're here. We believe that God has called every single one of us to amazing things. That means if you walked into this building today, God has something special prepared just for you. The reason I know that is because the Bible says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope, and plans to give you a future. That is the God that we serve today. And regardless of what situations you have going on around you, look, here's what I know. Life will do everything it can to distract you from your purpose. Everything it can to try to tell you that you're not worth something, to try to tell you that what you have to offer isn't great. Let me tell you something. What any of us have to offer isn't great in our own hands. But when we let what we have in God's hands, God says, baby, I can take it from you and I can do great things for you. Come on, somebody. Y'all going to have to amen better than that because, look, I'm about to start preaching here. If y'all don't know who I am, I am, I am what's called a hollaback preacher. That means when you hear something you like, hollaback. <laughs> and look, I don't care what you, you can say whatever you want. Amen, preacher. Say that. Good. Awesome. I'll take that. Somebody wants to say, preach it, white boy. I'll take that too. Y'all, I don't know if y'all, I don't, I don't know if y'all know this, but it's okay to have fun in church. <laughs> I like to have fun, y'all. I, like I, I like to be able to come to my, my Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm having a rough day. Can we have some fun? Mm. I want to dance. Mm. Mm. So I'm going to dance. God has called us to live a life filled with joy. Amen. Suffering is going to come. I mean, we're in the middle of it, right? My gosh, for the last 15 weeks, isolation enemy. Division enemy. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It also says the enemy does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's here for. But as the body of Christ, it's time for us to rise up and say, oh, no, 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 no. We are the body of Christ. We will be unified. We will have joy in the midst of everybody else's sorrow because we have already read the back of the book. We see how it ends. Jesus wins.
That's not even a part of my message. I was just extra. <laughs> That's for free. But today I'm going to talk about something that has really been, has really been a big part of, of, of my Christian walk. Um, in fact, I, I was reading over this message, um, and, and, I, and I remembered that I had, I had I'd written this a long time ago. But as I was kind of, this week I was kind of going through some, some messages. As, uh, we're all kind of doing the same, uh, the same series, but we're all kind of doing it a little bit differently. And today I wanted to talk to you about something that I believe is, is vital to every believer. But before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all remember a time when you were a kid and you got fussed at for doing something that you absolutely did wrong? Can anybody remember that? Maybe, maybe, um, maybe you snuck out the house after dark and the, the, the lampposts were on. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-uh, you inside by the time those streetlights come on. Maybe you got caught with your hand in grandma's cookie jar. Or maybe you uh, jumped in the bayou right after your dad told you not to, but all your friends were around the bayou and they told you that you had to do it because they were all older and, and they were all going to call you a punk and a sissy if you didn't do it. No, just me? <laughs> I remember, I was probably nine, probably nine years old. And this is an infamous story. Y'all might have heard the story. If I told the story already, just sit tight. There's a reason for it. But I remember I was probably nine years old, and, uh, and I, was, I was getting ready. My buddy, um, my buddy Donald Blue, he was a good friend of mine. We were, uh, he, he had called me up and said, hey, Jacob, we're all going to go out on the boat. We'd love to come pick you up. You can come ride on the boat with us. I was like, man, this is so awesome. I'd love to. Yes, absolutely. Well, as I was getting ready, some friends from the neighborhood came over and um, and they, they, they said, hey, Jacob, we're all going to go play uh, hide and seek in the woods. So I asked my dad, dad, can I go play in the woods? Um, he said, yeah, but just make sure that, uh, that you don't jump in the bayou. Don't jump in the bayou. And by the time he had said that, I was already halfway out the yard, like, yeah, all right. You know, typical nine-year-old kid. And we went and we played hide and seek or some type of war. Who knows? I mean, I was nine. And the, the, the kids that were there were all older kids in the neighborhood. And, and we, 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 we ended up somehow next to the bayou. And... Hanging about six feet over the bayou was a rope swing. And all the, all the older kids were like, they, they, they knew me, right? So those older kids knew how to get Jacob LeBlanc to do something. All you had to say was, you know what would be really fun? <laughs> Y'all, that's all it took. Yep, <laughs> what? What was it, it going to take? So they said, you know what would be really fun? is if, Jacob, you could jump and go grab the rope swing and swing all the way out, and then if you swing all the way back, you'll never, you'll never fall on the bayou. And I was thinking, okay, these kids are 14, 15 years old. They know what they're talking about. So I step back. I step back, and I run. I jump. I get it, and I swing out, and as soon as I do, whoop, boom. And y'all, by this time, it had, I mean, it was such a long time ago since my dad had told me not to go in the, I mean, it had to be at least 15 minutes. That was ages ago, right? So I'm, I'm splashing around in the bayou and I'm just kind of cutting up. All my friends are laughing and we're all having a fun, this was, they were right. This was so much fun. And then all of a sudden, I hear it. Jacob! 
Y'all, that voice still strikes fear into the very core of me. (laughs) Because I remember as soon as I heard, Jacob, and you probably heard it from the rest of the neighborhood. As soon as I heard it, I just started crying. (laughs) Still in the bayou, y'all. Like, so I come running back and I'm, (laughs) it's, I get back to the house and I'm, 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 I'm kind of walking up. My dad says, Jacob jumped in the bayou. No. (laughs) Covered with mud, covered with, my white shirt was brown. He said, all right, go to your room, assume the position. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I was ready. That was it. I knew. Y'all, he wasn't mad. He wasn't, he wasn't angry. He was just, I, I I laid out the rules for you. I laid out the rules for you and was very clear about it. Now you have to suffer the consequences because you didn't listen. There was no anger. There was no, I can't believe you. Nope. Go. Time to take what's coming. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because when I was nine, I knew the rules, and my dad made it abundantly clear that I was not supposed to jump in the bayou. I wasn't supposed to disobey. But here's the question I want to ask you. Do you think my dad was trying to keep me from fun? You think my dad was, oh, no, I know he's really going to like doing that, so I'm going to tell him he can't. No. See, my dad knew something that I didn't. See, because my dad knew that as soon as Dr. Blue showed up, I'd have to be ready to go and I had to jump in the car. And I, but if I jumped in the bayou, then I would have to go take a bath and, and by the, I'd have to get dressed and I would have to do all these things so that I wouldn't be ready when the real fun was going to start. My dad wasn't trying to keep me from fun. He knew that if I said no to this, that even better was on the other side. Y'all know where I'm going with this. See, it's the same way with God. God hasn't given us his word so that it can keep us from living a life of fun, but he knows that living a life according to his plan leads to fulfillment. And here's the way I'll say it. I'm going to put it up for you. God's word isn't there to rob our joy. It's for our fulfillment. So what's the purpose of scripture? Let's, let's, let's figure out, let's talk about what, what, why, why, why the Bible? Why, why do we need to read it? Why do we need to, to live it? What's, what's the purpose? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Oh, It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, just like my dad set the rules because he wanted what was best for me, God's word, the Bible is a set of life rules 
not so that we have to measure up to it, but so that we can live the life of God's best for us. But what happens when we decide to live a life that doesn't line up with God's word? James 1.22 says this, but don't just listen to the word. We have to do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so, Pastor Jacob, are you saying that if we don't listen to the word of God, we'll die? You know, somebody else said that a long, long time ago. His name was Adam and Eve. And the enemy says, oh, no, you, you, you won't surely die. Turns out what the Bible is talking about is a spiritual death. And I'm just telling you, spiritual death is much worse than a physical death. Because spiritual death separates you from the God who created you and the God who loves you. And it will lead to an eternal death, which I believe is even worse. The message commentary states it this way. It says, work hard for your sin, your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. The Bible is the way that we discern the difference between conviction by the Holy Spirit and condemnation from man. Those are, those are some big words. There's two words in there I want you to, to really see. Condemnation and conviction. Today we're going to talk about the difference. See, because the Bible talks about conviction, but it also talks about condemnation. The Bible says in John 16, verse 7 and 8, but the fact is, it's best for you that I go away. This is Jesus talking. It's best that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. The advocate is the Holy Spirit. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit was sent to convict. If you ever hear a preacher that say, you're all going to hell, you're all sinful. Yeah, it might be true. <laughs> Not of everybody, I'm just, I'm just being silly. But there might be some people who hear that and feel guilt and feel shame. Let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to guilt, it will never lead you to shame, but man will. Man will lead you that way. And look, I'll be honest with you. There have been times where a man of God will speak something into my life and I'll say, man, that was, I don't know if I agree with that, but let me take it to the Holy Spirit. Then I, I'll start praying about it and the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's all you. Deal with that. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> the Holy Spirit convicts sin in our life. And what that means is that when we disobey God's word or sin, the Holy Spirit makes us feel the weight of being separated from God. Conviction leads to repentance. But what about condemnation? Condemnation's different. 
Watch what the book of John says in chapter 3. It says this, John 3, this is after one of the most famous scriptures in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody's heard that one a million times. But what about verse 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Huh. The Holy Spirit sends his conviction to save but man tries to condemn to control. Condemnation is a harsh judgment against someone else. Preachers can have a bad reputation of con- condemning people's sin. But here's what I want you to see. God judges. The Holy Spirit convicts. Man's job is to love. A lot of times we try to We try to put on a couple of those, huh? We try to, oh, let me tell you what, let me tell you what, 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 what what your sin is. This is your sin and you need to deal with that. Oh, yeah? It may be true, but you are not the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between bringing truth in love and bringing condemnation. Condemnation is trying to convince somebody that they're guilty. The fact of the matter is it's not your place to judge. It's God's job to judge. It's your job to love. It's your job to love. We as believers have to love the people that we disagree with. Uh Uh-oh. I feel like there's a mine somewhere around here that I'm about to step on. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. How many people are you having a conversation with that don't look like you and don't have the same background as you? How many people have you sat down with and said, hey, tell me your story. Tell me, tell me what these things that you're dealing with. Tell me the things that are going on in this world. Tell me how you feel about this. Tell me what this means to you, because I want to listen not to be understood, but I want to listen to understand. So many times, and y'all, we are Cajuns, we all do this, don't say you don't. We all try to listen so that we can argue. (laughs) Hold up, no, 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 let, let let me tell you what I think about what you just said. Let's keep our mouth shut and listen to understand. Tell me, how, tell me more. Whew, that phrase, tell me more. You're not saying, let me tell you how I think you're wrong. Tell me, tell me how I think, t- I, I want to tell you how, 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 how what you say is completely wrong. It is not your job to judge. It is your job to love. And in this season, I'm just telling you, there's nothing more loving than sitting across from somebody and feeling what they feel. You may not agree with their perspective, but at least you can feel what they're feeling. And say, I hear you. I am so sorry you're going through that. How can I help? How can I pray for you? Y'all, the body of Christ, we need to keep our opinions, and I'm guilty of this. Y'all all know this. (laughs) I like to say my opinion too, but I've been guilty of this. It's time for me to shut my mouth 
and just listen. It's time for me to say, okay, tell me what you're feeling about this. Tell me what, here's a good question. Tell me what God's word is speaking to you. Ooh. Hey, tell me what the Holy Spirit's talking to you about. Hey, you want to talk about discipleship? You want to talk about walking through life with somebody? You want to talk about being what the Bible has called us to be, which is disciple makers? Ask somebody what God is speaking to them. Because it does one of two things. They'll tell you and you'll learn more about them. Or they'll say, oh, well, I don't really pray. Hey, perfect, let me help you. That's discipleship. This ain't even a part of my message, but I felt like that's, again, free. (laughs) God judges, the Holy Spirit convicts, and man should love. Conviction is good. Biblical conviction is what keeps us from continuing to sin. Conviction takes us from separation from God to a relationship with God. But why is biblical conviction so necessary to our faith journey? And There's three things I want to share with you. Number one, biblical conviction leads to real repentance. When the Holy Spirit convicts you about something in your heart, you have two responses, ignore it or obey it. I've heard a lot of people say this, Pastor Jacob, I just don't know if, I don't, I don't know if I'm hearing God anymore. I always respond this way. What's the last thing God told you to do that you didn't do? Because <laughs> God's just like, hey, I already told you what to do. You just haven't done it yet. I'm not going to go back on my word. <laughs> I got what's best for you, but you got to obey I love, and some of y'all that have been a part of OSC for a long time, y'all are going to know exactly what I'm about to say. Miss Michelle's favorite, favorite line, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You never know. God's got so much more for every single one of us. But biblical conviction leads to repentance. When God puts his finger on something, are we willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I repent. But repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is a 180-degree turn. Repentance isn't just saying, oh, yeah, I'm I'm so sorry, God. I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm sorry about it. No, repentance is saying, hey, God, you told me I shouldn't be doing this. I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going this way now. But too many times, we, we just like to say sorry because it makes us feel a little bit better. And then we wonder why we're not living in God's best. Sorry, am I poking some things right now? Because, like, I feel like y'all kind of quiet on me. Like, <laughs> Biblical conviction is not a fun topic to talk about, but it is necessary for every believer. Repentance is basic, y'all. Repentance is saying, you know what, God, I want to I live my life according to your will. Whenever we raise our hand at the end of service and we say, I want to be born again, being born again is not just raising your hand. Being born again is saying, I'm repenting and turning from my sin and walking away from it. And then every day asking the Holy Spirit, what else? Oh, Oh, man, whenever a spiritual father comes in and says, man of God, you need to work on this. 
No. I don't want to. But Pastor Jacob will slap me around spiritually, emotionally. It's for my good. Y'all know, y'all know I love that. I love getting beat. I love it. Ask my older brother. He used to beat the tar out of me. And I'd always come back for more because that's, that's just how I loved. I, I love that. My dad always, my, dad, my mom and dad always say, whenever you were a kid, we used to, I mean, spank you all the time. I didn't enjoy it a whole lot. But I just remember, all right, they love me. They love me. Because they wouldn't spank me if they didn't love me. And I love, I love, I love. So when God says, son, daughter, the reason you're having so much pain is because you haven't given this to me. And when he says, you you haven't given this to me, it means you haven't repented of it and turned from it. Biblical conviction is not just feeling guilty about something. In fact, we were talking about this whenever I was going over the message with our team up there. Biblical conviction, Holy Spirit conviction, is never going to lead you to guilt. It's always going to lead you to peace. Always. It might, it might not emotionally feel good because you're like, oh, no, I don't want to give this up. It's going to cause this relationship. Y'all, sometimes God asks you to give up people. Uh-oh. But, y'all, we are Cajuns. That's family. My question to you is, is your family getting you closer to Jesus or pulling you away from them? I'm just making sure I ain't throwing nothing at me. Every relationship in your life should be leading you to Jesus. And if it's not, it's time to cut it out. Don't say that in Cajun culture. Y'all, if we can get this biblical conviction thing, everything else in our life is going to fall into place. There are tons of people who feel guilt over their actions but never change what they do. Biblical conviction isn't just knowing what the Bible says about sin. Tons of people know what the Bible... You ask any Catholic who's been going to church for a long time, they know exactly what they should be doing. They just ain't doing it. It ain't just Catholics, it's all of us. I'm saying that because Catholics are, they have a bunch of them around here. A non-Christian is always quick to point out church people's sin, and most of the time, they ain't wrong. People who don't believe in God, oh yeah, you said you was a believer, but you cussing. Oh, you said you was a believer, but you, you're right. You ain't wrong. But biblical conviction results in a change of action. Repentance should be our natural response to conviction. Obedience should be a natural response. See, it blows my mind that people can continue living in sin without ever changing. Blows my mind that people can continue to listen to God's word, come to service on Sunday morning. This church, doesn't matter what church, and this is a general, this is not this particular church. I mean, y'all are all amazing. There's nobody living in sin here. 
but that they can still listen to message after message, weekend after weekend, and still sit in filth. It amazes me that a person can know in their head that something they do is wrong, it's sin, and yet never show repentance for their actions. Never be obedient to God's word. And people wonder why they're always living in turmoil. Hmm. I'm going to keep going. See, conviction should lead us to repentance, but, but it also leads us to something else. It leads us to, God, to godly character. That's number two. Biblical conviction should lead us to godly character. John the Baptist demanded fruits of repentance from, from, from the people he was preaching to. In other words, he wanted to see proof that through their changed lives and their character that they were serious about that change. It wasn't just a, I believe I'm born again, my hand's raised, so I'm good. That's my fire insurance. Okay, good, I don't have to go to hell. I guess I'll live the way I want. I'm going to keep going. One thing that amazes me about God is that is his patience with us. <laughs> Y'all, thank God. He's so patient. Because I can be an idiot sometimes. And sometimes I just need him to be patient with me because I'm stupid sometimes. I can just be so obstinate. I can be so hard-headed that I will sit in my pain, and yet God's looking at me like, you know the answer. You know what you're supposed to do. You just ain't doing it. You ever wonder why God just hasn't given up on us? God cares enough about us to bring conviction to our hearts to show us where we're wrong. Y'all, that's love. When you receive conviction, you're not supposed to get mad, angry, frustrated. You're supposed to be thankful that God has patience on us. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is when a couple of kids were making fun of a prophet because he was bald. And he prayed and bears came down from the mountains and ate the kids. That's hilarious. Praise God, he's more patient with me. <laughs> I know Pastor Sean's probably listening in the family room. I'm sorry for making fun of your baldness. I wasn't. I love you. Don't pray for bears. <laughs> See, he, God sends conviction. It's not to mess up our world, but to give us a better one. And he may do it through the word of God. He may do it through the Holy Spirit or do it through a man of God or a woman of God who, who's speaking on behalf of him. But remember the story of my dad setting rules and me failing at it. When I failed, my dad applied a consequence. It was that simple. I physically felt that conviction on my backside. Throughout the Bible, we consistently see people feeling conviction for what they'd done. David was ashamed after he slept with Bathsheba. The whole nation of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes over the preaching of Jonah. 
Paul was sincerely repentant over the persecution he had unleashed on the first century church. When you're confronted with sin in your own life, how do you respond? Will you just feel a little bit guilty or will you have repentance that leads to change and action? In 2 Samuel, we find the story of the prophet Nathan and, and King David. And most of you guys know the story. After David sinned with Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan came to him with a message from God and he told, told David a story. He told him of a rich man who, who had owned a very large number of sheep and cattle and a poor man who owned one lamb. One day, the, one day a traveler came and instead of feeding the man, one of the lambs, the rich man took the lamb from the poor man. And David heard this story and he got so mad. And he suggested that the man deserve to die for what he did and pay back four times as much. And this is how the prophet Nathan responded in verse 7. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 through 9 says, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stole his wife. Hmm. Sometimes I wish the Lord would speak to me like this. Just tell me straight up what I did wrong. Just, just let me have it, God. When I do counseling, I do counseling, um, I tell my counselor, just shoot me. I don't need you to beat around the bush. Tell me what I'm dealing with. It's going to hurt, but let me get through it. Let's go. I ain't got time for this. But God sometimes says, hey, but the process is more important than the destination. I need you to feel the pain of your own mistakes. My dad needed me to feel the consequences of not realizing that he had my best interest at heart. See, David was broken over his sin. And it was after this confrontation that he wrote Psalm 51. We really live in a world that lacks conviction for the wrong things that we've done. I love reading about godly people in the Bible. I love reading about Noah, the faith of Abraham, the integrity of Joseph, the perseverance of Job, the passion of David, the boldness of the prophets, the dedication of the apostle Paul. These are stories about real people who put conviction into practice. And y'all, they made mistakes. There isn't a single person who God used in the Bible who wasn't a mistake, who, who made a mistake, except for Jesus. Conviction is seen in us by a change of character and actions. We have to be able to walk what we talk. Godly character means having, having your walk line up with your talk, and that takes a serious commitment. The last thing we'll say is number three, biblical conviction leads to a serious commitment. First Kings 8.61 says this, and may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord your God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. 
See, everybody has strong preferences about what they believe. They have strong preferences about their life. They devote their time. They devote their energy. They devote money. They devote calendar to their preferences. And here's the problem. Preferences can change. Convictions cannot change. You will not change convictions even with the threat of jail or a threat to your life. Unless you've lived or visited another country, I'm pretty sure no one here has ever been threatened because of what you believe. I'm talking the threat of your life. I want you to think about that. What would you do if someone literally had a gun to your head and questioned your belief system, knowing that a wrong answer to them could end your life? Conviction should come into play in how you live. Think about it. Adolf Hitler was a man of strong convictions, and it showed. Osama bin Laden was a man of strong convictions, and it showed. People change the world because of their convictions. People with deep, real convictions are willing to stand up for what they believe in, no matter what the cost may be. Billy Graham had strong convictions. Roy Moore was a chief justice in the Alabama Supreme Court. And when a federal judge ordered him to remove the Ten Commandment monument from the courthouse, he refused. Moore was removed from his office because of his firm stance and serious commitment to what he believed. His convictions and beliefs were so strong that he was willing to lose his job for what he believed in. How strong are your convictions? How strong is that when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, I need you to, I need you to adjust some things, are you willing to stand up for what you believe in? True biblical conviction leads to a serious commitment. See, here's my point. All throughout the Bible, we read of conviction coming upon people, and it didn't just fall on deaf ears, but it moved people to a response in action. And that's what I believe God's calling us to do today. Is that when we read God's word, when we hear a message, we're moved to saying, you know what? I've got, to, I've got to change some things. When I read God's word, I'm looking into a mirror. Sometimes I don't always like what I see. But I'll tell you what doesn't need to change, God's word. We like to manipulate sometimes. Oh, but that doesn't really mean, uh-uh. I'm gonna read God's word, I'm gonna do what it says. I may not, I may not always be perfect. I may not always get it right but I'm grateful for God's patience. See, but the Bible has a purpose beyond just li us living a good life. The word of God has a purpose and it's just beyond us being able to enjoy our life. The Bible's ultimate purpose is to point us to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible points us to Jesus. The Old Testament prepared us for his coming and the New Testament shows us how to respond to him shows us how to respond to the, to the price that was paid. 
John 5, 39 says this. <laughs> you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. So what does Jesus want with us? He wants us in a relationship with his father. He wants us to know that his father loves us, loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us to pay for our penalty so that we can be in relationship with him. How do we do that? By being born again. And just for a moment, I'd like to ask everyone just to please stay where you are. We do have to dismiss a certain way. So just for a moment, if you could stay where you are, we're gonna, we're gonna ask a very important question and we're gonna dismiss in just a couple minutes. But if you say, I want a relationship with Jesus, this biblical conviction thing, I might have raised my hand once or twice, but I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I'm really living like that. That's okay. God has patience on all of us. But Jesus came so we can be in relationship with God. God wants a relationship with you so that you can spend eternity with him. Well, Pastor Jacob, how do we do that? Well, being born again. John 3, 3 says, unless a person is born again, they can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Well, I want you to see the kingdom of heaven. All right, Pastor Jacob, what do I do? How do I become born again? I think it's really as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we've made some mistakes, that maybe we haven't lined up with God's word, and maybe we've done some things that don't really go with this. And then you ask for forgiveness. All right, God, I repent. God, I'm sorry, I made some mistakes. But remember what repentance really means? And we're, I'm not gonna do a whole series on repentance. But repentance means admitting that you've done something wrong and not doing it anymore. It's a lot different than just saying, fire insurance, I wanna raise my hand. It's saying I'm making a commitment to when the Holy Spirit comes on me and says, I don't need to be doing this anymore, I never know what's on the other side of my obedience. So A is ask, admit that we've made some mistakes and ask for forgiveness. B, believe. Believe that, that Jesus is who he says he is. That he was the son of God. That he died, rose again for your sins and for mine to give us a relationship with his father. And then C, we confess. Confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, where we are now submitting our life to his will and to his word. Y'all, that's tough. But the Bible says don't be lukewarm about it. Because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out my mouth. I ain't got time for that. Don't say, oh, I'm going to be a Jesus follower, but I'm not going to do what Jesus said. No, God says if you're going to be in, be all in. I'm tired. I'm tired of people saying they're a Christian but not living like it. Y'all, it's time that we take God's word and actually apply it. It's time that we say, God, we are surrendering our lives to you, our entire life, not just the parts that we want to give you, but everything. That is confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. So I'm asking right now, in just a moment, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to make this a, not going to make a big deal out of you raising your hand, but in a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's the commitment you want to make. We're going to, everybody, just to say, in fact, I'll tell you what, everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes right now. And I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, so don't be looking around. This is not for you. This is not your decision. 
This decision is for somebody else. It is none of your business whether or not somebody raises their hand. But we, 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 we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We don't embarrass anybody. I'm not going to make you stand up, get in front of a bunch of people you don't know. I just want to, by raising your hand in just a second, I'm going to count to three. By raising your hand and saying, Pastor Jacob, I want to be born again. You're saying, Pastor Jacob, please pray for me. I am committing my life to honoring your word, to honoring what your word says, and to obeying. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed right now. I want to ask this question. On the count of three, if you'd like to be born again, lift up your hand. And look, maybe right now your heart's beating right now, pounding because you know you're supposed to respond to this. On the count of three, if you want to be born again, saying I'm making a commitment, I am, I am, I am surrendering my life. I'm not just going to raise my hand and be protected under fire insurance, but I'm going to commit my life. On the count of three, if that's you, one, two, three, lift up your hand right now. Hands going up all over the place. Look, keep them up for just a second. Keep them up for just a second. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Thank you. Put your hands down. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. I'm not going to do the regular one like I always do. I want to do it a little bit different. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I've made some mistakes and forgive me. I'm turning away. I don't want to do those things anymore. All they've led to is pain. But what I want is your presence. Because in your presence is where I find peace. Cleanse my heart. Renew my mind. Help me to not think the way I used to. Help me to not act the way I used to. Give me the strength today to live out biblical convictions that when you say I need to change something, I will will be obedient. I give you my heart today, Lord. I give you my will today, Lord. Accept me into your house. Accept me into your family. In Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said, amen. Can you give them a round of applause? Man. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com.